of his time and of all time. He wrote 15 novels, hundreds of short stories. For 20 years, he edited a, a journal. He had huge impacts by the way of reforms in education. He was a giant of a man. Yet we know that Charles Dickens endured much in his life. While just a boy, his father was placed in debtor's prison. He was raised in poverty. A lot of things went against him, we might say, early in his life. But we know that because of the unique perspective he had, he found a way to leverage the hardship he experienced in life and leverage it into success later in life. One of the defining attributes of his life was his gratitude. His gratitude. On a visit to the United States, he was reported to have said that the United States is mixed up. That's what Charles Dickens had to say, we're mixed up. He went on to explain what he meant by that. He, he shared that we've set one day aside to have Thanksgiving, to give thanks. He said we should have set 364 days aside for Thanksgiving and just one day for complaining. He wasn't implying, of course, that we live in a perfect country, that we have no problems. He was saying that we have a lot for which to be thankful we have a lot of reasons to give thanks. We're a blessed people. I want you to understand today that Thanksgiving is not the absence of trials. Each of those from our church family whose testimony we just heard by way of a video let us know that in the midst of the various trials through which we go in life, God is good. Thanksgiving is not the absence of trials. It's the presence of a reality that there is a God that is good. A God that is good. I think of Charles Dickens and the work he did and I think of that uh, classic, A Christmas Carol. There's just a, an undercurrent of gratitude all through there, and the moral of the story is there's reason for thankfulness. I want you to know today that I believe our approach to Thanksgiving will play a huge role in the quality of the lives that we live. I believe today that if we're unthankful people, we'll have unhappy lives. We find a passage before us that can encourage us greatly today. The passage, it shares with us how it is we can be thankful. Would you please know with me today that Thanksgiving does not follow joy? It precedes it. It precedes it. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to Psalm 100 today. Psalm 100 is a great psalm in the Bible. And as I keep careful records of messages that I preach here, I went back and I said earlier, I'm getting ready to enter into my 15th Christmas at Coastline. This is my 15th Thanksgiving. And, and in the last 14 years, this making 15, I've preached in Psalm 100 on Thanksgiving Sunday two different times. And both times I ended at verse 3. I never did make it to the end of the psalm. There's a lot of good to be said early in the psalm. But we're going to really focus our study today uh, on the concluding verses. We'll read all of it to get the context. Psalm 100 and verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. Now I'm going to read on, but what a great statement that is. Know ye, the Bible says, Y-E, that's plural, you all. You all need to know something, the Bible's saying. Uh, be reminded today that God is God. We are not. All right? And that's a comforting thought. Know ye that the Lord, He's God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We're His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Now again, I'll read on. Let me tell you how to approach God. With thanksgiving. And that's how we enter into His gates. Into His presence, into His courts. With an attitude of gratitude. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. 
Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. Now, if you paid attention today, from the very opening words of our service all the way through the sermon we're going to have today, the theme has been, the Lord is good. Those aren't just happy words we break out on Sunday. That's a reality we can live with every day of our lives. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. I want you to go back, if you would, near the midst of verse 4, there's just a statement I want us to take note of, and it'll really serve as the focal point for our study today. The Bible says in verse 4 these two words, be thankful, be thankful. And if anyone asks you after church today, what did the pastor talk about? You can say he talked about be thankful. (laughs) We're going to study this together. And you know, with every command from God comes his enablement. He tells us what to do and why to do it and how to do it. And if he's going to tell us to be thankful, you better be sure he's going to give us some great reasons why that can become a reality in our lives. Our Father, thank you for this day, for the good things you're doing in our midst now, and for the fact that the good you do comes from your nature, which is good. Encourage hearts today. Comfort those that maybe are going through a difficult season. Help all of us to take the blessings you've given to us and share them with others. Use this day for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's been said that the hardest arithmetic to master is the arithmetic that allows us to count our blessings. I don't know why it's so hard sometimes to count our blessings, but many times when we evaluate our lives, reasons for thanksgiving don't come as quickly as maybe those things we see that we think in our hearts, I wish I had less of that. Other things we see and we think, I wish I had more of that. Many times, rather than seeing contentment and joy and happiness and thanksgiving, we look to our lives and and we see the things that we would change if we were given the chance I want you to know today that the discipline of gratitude, it not only allows us to see the good things in our lives, but it is one of the good things in our lives. Did you hear what I just said? It really is one of the great blessings that we carry with us through life when we have the capacity to evaluate what's happening around us and come to the conclusion that thanksgiving is in order. A thankful outlook in life is a treasure. A thankful heart will be seen. By giving thanks. By giving thanks. An unthankful heart will be seen by complaining, by grumbling. Sometimes the Bible uses the word murmuring. I used to think that people complained because they had really big problems. But, you know, having lived a little bit myself now, I've come to understand that many times my complaining makes a small problem much, much bigger. Complaining is never one time made a problem smaller, or it's never brought victory, it's never brought that breakthrough moment in life. Complaining doesn't help a thing. In fact, complaining makes things worse. I want you to notice the order of the words in this verse I want to read today. In Psalm 77, in verse 3, listen to what the Bible says. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. Notice the order of those words. I complained and then I was overwhelmed. Think of these words in the New Testament, Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, do all things without murmurings and disputings that you might be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
You see, friends, ingratitude leads to complaining. Complaining leads to being overwhelmed. And the victorious life that the, that the Bible says can shine as lights in the world, it's found in a life of gratitude. And as we've been in this midst of a study talking about apps from the Word of God, we find an app today for gratitude. If God's going to tell us to be thankful, we can be sure He'll tell us how and why. Each of the Psalms, all 150 of them tell a story. All of them. But each of the Psalms also comes from a story. A variety of human authors involved in the writing of the book of Psalms Most of them were written by David, King David, many of them prior to him becoming the king. And each of the Psalms tells a story, but they come from a story. The Bible tells us in the book of Leviticus chapter 7 that God taught His people that they were to come into His presence and offer what we refer to as a sacrifice or an offering of thanksgiving. That was to be a part of worship. As they came into the presence of God, and if I can today, maybe we would put it this way as we come to church, we're to bring thankful hearts with us. We're to come with an attitude of gratitude. And people have said, who've studied the writing of the Psalms and the authors and so forth, that David invested his time in Psalm 100 to prepare the people in his day for their coming to God so they would have a heart of thanksgiving. In fact, of all of the Psalms, only one of them is labeled as a Psalm of Praise. And this psalm, Psalm 100, is that one psalm. And so David wrote it to help people get ready to be thankful, to help them to get ready to spend time with God in worship. We learn from this psalm that as we approach God, we are to approach God with a song in our heart. What does verse 1 say? Let's look in the text. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I sometimes joke, and you've heard it before, I'm glad it just says joyful noise. If it said a beautiful song, I, I wouldn't qualify, but I can make a joyful noise, okay? And uh, some of your singing, maybe it's more noise-like than beautiful, but, but we're to come into the presence of God with a song in our heart. And then we find we're to come into the presence of God serving. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. And the Bible tells us that as we come to God, we're to speak to Him in prayer. And that is a part of all of this. We find a reminder here that God's the Creator. We're not. And our approach to His presence should be filled with hearts of praise and thanksgiving. And we get to the final verse of this chapter where we find the why of it all. The why. I think of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 where the Bible says there, in everything give thanks. Maybe you're thinking today, well, why? Why would I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked, and so is God, and He wrote down for us reasons for thanksgiving. If you have your notes nearby, I'd encourage you to get them out. Let's look to the Bible today and see what the Lord has for us. Uh, If you like studying the Bible, you'll notice verse 5 is going to be completely saturated today. We're going to cover every word in it, all right? It begins in verse 5 by saying this, For the Lord is good. The first reason for thanksgiving is this fact. Our God is a satisfying God. He's a satisfying God. Uh, I'm glad we have a God the Bible tells us is a good God. And that simple statement was a major emphasis in the writings of David. As David wrote the Psalms, he wanted everybody to know over and over that God is good. In Psalm 34 and 8, he said this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Now, if this were the only reason to praise God and be thankful to Him, it'd be reason enough. In Psalm 106, in verse 1, the Bible says this, Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endureth forever. The Bible says, Be thankful to God. Why? Because He is good. Now, there are those today who would be quick to claim that their God 
is great. If we were to watch the news together and see a lot of what's happening in the Middle East, we might hear someone utter a phrase in in Arabic that would be defined as, God is great. And I want to say today, with crystal clarity, the God of the Bible is the God, the very God, and He's a great God. There is no other God. And I have no problem today in letting you know that the God of the Bible is the God, the very God, and that there's none other. I have no problem today letting you know that He is great. But if I believed, if I believed in a deity that were great with the absence of goodness, His greatness would be a problem to me, not a blessing. A great God who's not a good God is a God to be feared. He's not a God that loves. He's not a God that nurtures. He's not a God that cares. He's not a God of compassion. Greatness in and of itself is not enough. And so I would be quick to assert that our God is God and He is a great God. Psalm 48 and verse 1 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of His holiness. But if God were not good, His greatness would be a source of fear. God's very nature is goodness. The word good in this text is an interesting word. You remember earlier as I read Psalm 34, David said this, taste and see that the Lord is good. The word good means this, to please the senses, to please the senses. That's the word the Holy Spirit of God chose to define our God. He's pleasing to the senses. Now, I think most of us this week on Thursday will we'll get up and we'll smell something cooking around the house and it'll just absolutely torture us for a good long while, you know, and And we'll finally get around to sitting down at the table. We'll say a prayer of thanks. Say grace, we might say. We'll sit down, eat more than some would say is humanly possible and certainly way more than is recommended, you know. My brother, I just saw him going to town eating one day and I said, man, why are you eating so much? He said, I read in the paper that big people are harder to be kidnapped, okay? So whatever tool you use to justify, you go. And we'll sit down and we'll eat and we'll eat and we'll eat. And uh, then we'll sit down on the couch, all right? And uh, how many of you guys, uh, like me, sometimes that top button's just got to come undone just to make a little more room for comfort there? A few of you like that today? Good. Thank you for sharing. That's a blessing. And uh, we'll sit there and we'll watch football. And, uh, and somewhere in the midst of all that, someone will say, man, that was good. That was good. And when we say that was good, what do we, what do we mean by that? We mean that which satisfied our senses. It was good. Oh, man, this morning when I was smelling all that food, ooh, that was good. It was a good smell. My nose was smiling. I was happy. It was good. And then I sat down, and I didn't just smell it anymore. I began to eat it. Man, it was good. My tongue was smiling. I was happy. Now my stomach's all happy. It was good. But then after a while, the goodness will kind of leak out. And after the football game, we'll actually get up and make our way to the fridge, won't we? For some more goodness, right? We'll, we'll make an enormous sandwich, and let's do it all again, man. Let's get the party started all over again, and we'll, we'll eat some more. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm all for good food. But unlike food, the goodness of God is perpetually satisfying. He's always good. He has been good. He is good. He will be good. Sometimes we'll go through seasons that may classify, at least in our estimation, as a bad time. But in the midst of those times, God is good. God's good all the time. All the time, 
God is good. It's just his nature. It's just how he goes about business. God is good. I always like to emphasize that in reality, we're not even qualified to say this is a bad time or this is a good time because the fact of the matter is I've had times in my life, I would have told you in the moment, this is the worst experience I've ever gone through in all of my life. But when I came out the other end of it, I can look back and say that experience, it was uncomfortable, that was painful, that was hurtful, that sometimes brought tears. That was an experience where God taught me something I never would have learned any other way. And that time I would have been quick to tell you it was a bad time. In reality, it was a good time. How can that happen? The Lord is good. He's good. That's just who He is. He's a good God. I think of Romans eight twenty eight. The Bible says we know that all things work together for good. Now, that's not the end of the verse. I've often heard the verse stops there. No, it, it doesn't stop Altogether there, the Bible says we know that all things work together for good to them. Well, we better find out who does it work together uh, to good for. Uh, for good, uh, the Bible says, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Do you, know why, do you know why all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose? It's because a good God is doing a good work. I think of Philippians 2.13, the Bible says it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Even God's pleasure is good. Our God is good. We need not be shaken. There's always a reason for which we can be thankful and give him praise. As our mind goes back to that first Thanksgiving at Plymouth Colony, we know they had so many needs, so much had gone wrong, so many lives had been lost, and, and yet we know that those that, as Americans, we would refer back to as our forefathers, we know they came primarily seeking religious liberty, freedom to worship God according to the dictates of their conscience, not wanting a big brother, so to speak, looking over their shoulder, trying to get into their spiritual relationships. They, they came to this country and after enduring so much found it only appropriate to have a season of thanksgiving god met their need in so many ways he gave them some local knowledge through squanto and others and you know all the stories and their work being heard and told and retold and and i'm thankful for that part of of our history and all their needs they managed to say what our brothers and sisters said today god's good He's good. Thanksgiving is not the absence of trials. In the truest sense, it's the presence of the goodness of God. Can I tell you today, please understand this. An unthankful life is an unhappy life. And some of you, listen, you, you know it. I'm not accusing you. You know it. Your conscience is accusing you. You're just not happy. And don't say it's because there's nothing to be thankful for. Just say, I'm going to listen to the rest of this message today and understand that happiness, it's a byproduct of gratitude, not the result of. Think of it. An ungrateful life is not happy. An ungrateful life makes small troubles large and makes large troubles insurmountably large. An ungrateful life isn't worshiping God with praise. You can't possibly worship God with praise and, and yet having gratitude in your heart at the same time. An ungrateful life is missing out on its purpose, but a heart filled with thanksgiving realizes we have a God that is always and forever good, a God that allows all things to work together for good according to His good pleasure. I'm just saying today, our God, He's a satisfying God. He's a great God.
who happens to be good as well. The second thought in this passage of Scripture, it shares with us that our God is a saving God. Our God is a saving God. The next words in verse 5 say this, His mercy is everlasting. His mercy is everlasting. You know, I think of King David and I think of the Psalms. There's probably one Psalm that stands above all the rest, the most famous, most well-known Psalm. Any guesses which one that is? I think some of you are mumbling, 23rd. I, I would say that's probably the most famous Psalm, right? Listen to what David said in Psalm 23 and verse 6. Surely, in other words, no doubt about it. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. Uh, we've already seen we have a good God. What's the second element mentioned in this text? Mercy. David found comfort in the fact that the goodness and mercy of God were, were with him. God provides mercy. A good God provides mercy. I was talking with missionary Dan Morris the other day as he was with us, and he's been 30 plus years in, in southern Mexico, and a man I respect very much. And, and as we were talking, he said, you know, Steve, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. This was him talking now. He said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior when I was five years old. That's to say he became a Christian when he was five. He acknowledged he was a sinner, imperfect. He asked for forgiveness of sins, and, and he asked to be saved. He prayed to God and said, God, forgive me of my sins, and please uh, allow me to be saved and born into your family at five. And he said, you know, Steve, when I asked God to forgive me of my sins at the ripe old age of five, he said, there really weren't all that many sins behind me. You know, he said, at the age of five, I hadn't done all that much yet. But I asked God to forgive me of my sins. And he did. But he said, you know, Steve, that means I've committed a lot more sins after I got saved than I did before I got saved. And I got to thinking on that. And I thought, you know what? I can say the same thing. The day I came to know Christ as my personal Savior, I confessed, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. And God was so merciful. He was so merciful to hear that prayer. But I want you to know, I, I didn't just need God's mercy at that moment. I've needed it along the way. Let me tell you, I need it in this day. I am thankful that our God's mercy it's everlasting. It's everlasting. You see, mercy is to withhold judgment. And God does that. Grace is like to mercy, but it's a little bit different. Where mercy withholds judgment, grace comes in and gives good things we don't deserve. So I deserve to get thumped, right? And God, in His mercy, He, he withholds that wrath. And in His grace, He extends love in its place. We have a great God Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Years ago, my family made a trip to Grand Canyon and, and one of my brothers wanted to get the best view possible. And so he began to scoot out on a rock and scoot out on a rock. And how close he came to plummeting to his death, I don't really know. But he thought he was fixing to, okay. And uh, he scooted out and scooted out. And then he finally got to the point on this rock where he just laid flat. I think he thought the more flesh, the more shirt, the more Levi's he could get on that rock, the better, you know. And he laid there and started hollering. He thought he was going to fall. And finally, we ran over there and, and uh, he thought he was going to slip. We were able to pull him. As I was thinking of the mercy of God, that, that memory came to my mind. And, and I think that all of us know that we have those times in life where we have slipped. And we're not sure where that slip is going to take us. 
it's good to know that there's a God who's there to help us up. He's there. And, and I want you to know today that a success in life is not someone who's never slipped. A success in life is not someone who's never fall to success, uh, fell. A success in life is someone who gets up one more time than, than they've fallen. And we always find the love of God there to help us and encourage us and, and to lift us. When we slip, our sure-footed Savior is there. In Psalm 37, 24, the Bible says, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I'm grateful we have a God who's there to help. He's good. He's a satisfying God. His mercy is everlasting. He's a saving God. And finally today, I want us to see that our God is a steadfast God. What's the last statement in this verse? The last statement is this. His truth endureth to all generations. God's truth was for our forefathers. Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad today that... We can look back and, and, again, in general today, as American people, we can look back and see that our founding was uniquely Christian, at that time at least, and, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, his truth was there for our forefathers, for our fathers. His truth is here for us today. It's available for us today. And why is that? It's because His truth has never changed. What was true yesterday is today, and, and always that's the way that works. He's a God of truth. I, I remember I used to spend summers... In, in Colorado, and my grandparents lived at the end of about a 12-mile-long dirt road. And all kinds of good memories come to mind when I think of that dirt road, you know. And you, you'd get on the busy freeways of L.A. County, and you'd make your way out to Barstow and get on a two-lane road for a while until you get out to Flagstaff. And then you'd, you'd uh, get on a little, just one, you know, one going either way. And you're driving through the Indian Reservation. Then you get on really more of a street. And then you get finally, after about 840 miles, to this dirt road. And one summer, my parents were taking me there to drop me off and get me out of their hair or whatever they were doing, you know. I don't know if I got banished to the farm or if that was what. But at any rate, so we're going to the dirt road, and, and it was paved. And I was so disappointed. And in my mind, I just wanted to know there'd be one place in the world that didn't have to change, you know. I have an aversion to change. It's a problem I have. I have to work at it all the time. We got there, and I was so disappointed. Now, thankfully, they didn't pave the whole road, okay? I said it was about 12 miles long. I'd say five or six miles of it. And I was so disappointed. My grandparents, they were so happy. You know, they liked to wash their car and keep it clean as long as possible. And, and they thought that was, pro they called that progress. I thought that was a terrible step back, okay? And they, they said, this is good. And I thought, no, this is bad. Uh, sometimes there's comfort for us in knowing that there's a God who doesn't change. His truth is the same for everybody for all time. He doesn't change. Malachi 3, 6. Listen to what God says. I'm the Lord. I change not. We live in a day of situational ethics. You know? You say, well, what's, what's right or wrong? Well, there's no right and wrong. There's just what's right for you. You know? What's wrong for you? It's, it's not right or wrong. And, and of course, uh, God would have nothing to do with that. We live in a day where they would say there are no moral, uh, no moral absolutes. It's comforting to know we have a God whose truth, the Bible says, endureth. To all generations, we know that we change leaders. Our leaders change themselves. Our, our nation changes. And these days, many of the changes we're going through, man, the economy's being squeezed. We're, we're having a hard time. I'm just glad today to know this, that there's a citizenship in my life that means much more than my citizenship to this nation that I love. It's a citizenship that resides in heaven. 
Now, if to you that diminishes the affection I have for the United States, you're missing the point. I'm just saying at the end of the day, it's good to know there is a nation that will not change, it will not compromise, that will not shift. And, and I'm grateful today to know there's a God who in a changing world, he doesn't change. He doesn't change. And that's a comfort. That's a blessing. Paul in Philippians 3.20 told us that our citizenship is in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus will never change. The writer of Hebrews said this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You see, we can be profoundly thankful because we serve a God who is consistent, eternally consistent. His truth is marching on, as the song says. I want you to know that as you march through your life, His truth, they serve as the mile markers. His truth serves as the guardrails on the highway of life. His truth is that which we'll enter into when we reach our destination. Because the more we get to know God, the more we'll come to know of His truth. And we're ever learning and ever growing. His truth endures. It's with us for a lifetime. When we know about a God like this, there's a hope that can emerge in our lives. A hope. I think we all know of the difficulties along the way. And I, I thought of these stories just, just today, these testimonies just today. And I said in the first service, I'm glad that after the video they had a song because I wasn't quite ready to stand up yet, you know, to hear Barbara tell us the Lord is good and have her sitting in that early service just a couple rows behind me. What a sweet testimony, authentic, real There's a hope that emerges in our lives when we understand there's a God. But there's something better than knowing about God, and I'm referring to the life that truly, personally knows God. There's a big difference. Knowing there is a God is a reason for thanksgiving, but knowing God, that takes it to a whole new level. A relationship with God. You see, the trials of life, They don't go away just because you have a relationship with God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you'll be more thankful if you have a relationship with God because you'll have less trials. That's not true. And a preacher on TV saying it doesn't make it true, okay? The reality is the reason we can be more thankful when we have that personal relationship with God because we get to know Him, we get to know him better. I, I think of the, uh, the, the, the writer, the prophet in the Old Testament, Habakkuk. Listen to what he said in Habakkuk 3. Yet will I rejoice... In the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. He could rejoice in the God of his salvation. Now, I think of David, the author of the psalm we're studying today, of a time in his life where he had a breach in his relationship with God. He walked away from the Lord for a while. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We say walk away from the Lord, backslide, whatever. You know at least what I'm talking about. It's important. And what did David say in Psalm 51? Habakkuk said, I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. David said in Psalm 51 to God, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. What did he say? I just lost the joy of it. Had a, had a close relationship there with God, had a good personal relationship. But in the course of life, David was saying, you know, I walked, I walked away. And God, I regret that. And I need to get back up close with you. The relationship was there, but just, God, I need to get back close to you. He drifted, you see. 
Thanksgiving comes from hearts that have joy, and joy comes from knowing God. So as we approach Thanksgiving, we need to ask ourselves two questions. And folks, please, today, two questions and we're done. Two questions we all need to consider before we make our way into the Thanksgiving season. And, and I want you to think of these. Here's the first question. Am I traveling the path of life in a close relationship with God? I'm not talking about keeping rules. I'm not talking about following someone else's list. I'm just talking about in your life. Are you enjoying that relationship with God? Is he hearing from you through prayer? Are you hearing from him through the word and through Bible teaching and so forth? Are are you like Habakkuk saying, man, I'm just rejoicing in in this close relationship I'm enjoying. enjoying." Or maybe you're you're, you're more like David, whose psalm was basically saying, you know what? I've been closer. I've drifted a bit. I've drifted a bit. That's something we all need to deal with. The question we need to ask ourselves is, am I walking through life and enjoying a close relationship with God? Or is there maybe a little little room to tighten it up, draw a little closer, spend some more time together? That's the first question. Here's the second question. Do you know for sure that you have a relationship with God? Now, I want you to look up here. Do you know for sure that you have a relationship with God? I remember thinking, well, nobody can know that. Just do your best. Just hope, you know. But I found in the Bible that it's very clear we can know that we have a relationship with God. The Bible in 1 John 5.13 tells us we can know that we have everlasting life. The Apostle Paul said he was persuaded. He said he was convinced. And maybe you're here today and in your heart. There's, there's little doubt. Let me ask the question this way. Do you know for sure if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity in heaven? Do you know for sure if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity in heaven? Great news. God says you can know. Maybe as I ask that question in your heart, you're thinking, you know, I'm just not sure. Two questions today. All right. First one is this. Are we walking closely with God through life? All right. The second one is, are we sure that we have a relationship with God? And friends, I want you to know that one great purpose we can find in this holiday season is God can use it to direct us back to Him. To either begin that relationship or tighten it up, draw close to Him. Either way, this could be the best Thanksgiving you've ever had if if those two questions will be used of God to, to draw you close to Him. Would you be so kind as to join me in standing, please?